You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning, guys. Uh, Happy Easter. This is Pastor Ryan. I like to start with something fun. The Bible says that uh, laughter is like medicine for the soul. I want to share with you this story. I heard about this man. He was the only Protestant Catholic, uh, the only Protestant in a large Catholic neighborhood. Every Friday during Lent, while his neighbors were eating cold fish, he was in the backyard grilling steak. The Catholics couldn't stand the temptation, so they tried to convert him to Catholicism. He finally reluctantly agreed to convert to the Catholic faith. A priest came over to the house, and he sprinkled water on his head, and he said, you were born a Protestant, you were raised a Protestant, but now you're a Catholic. The next year, on the first Friday of Lent, the Catholics smelled the same smell of steak grilling on the backyard of their newly converted Catholic friend. Was he going back to his old ways? They rushed over to his house and they peeked over the fence and they saw him. He was in the backyard grilling and chilling. They looked very closely and they they saw him and they heard him. He sprinkled water on his steak and they heard him say in a loud voice, you were born a cow, you were raised a cow, but now you're a fish. Oh man, uh, that is too, too fun. I, I love being able to share some of these stories with you. I hope, I hope that encourages you. Hey, today we're talking about the, the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible says through and through that Jesus offers new life. Jesus is perhaps one of the most loved and the most hated people ever. He was befriended by misfits and drunks and thieves. He openly could forgive sin. He called himself God and he did miracles. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick and he mentored a dirty dozen called the 12 disciples. He preached an exclusive message yet was radically inclusive in his relationships. And even the most commonly used calendar today is a testimony of the fact of Jesus dividing history into a period before his life and after his, after his birth. 2,000 years ago, he was brutally executed by the Roman soldiers. He predicted his death, his burial, and resurrection. And more than 2.2 billion people attempt to follow his teaching and believe he is God. His message is unique from all other world religions and leaders. He claimed not to simply know the way to salvation, but to be the way to salvation. He didn't claim to be a prophet as others have claimed. He claimed to be God himself. This is unique among all other religions in, uh, or in religious leaders such as Buddha, Joseph Smith, Gandhi, Muhammad, and more. And the reality is, is on Easter, we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is God and he is alive. But you know, on that first Easter, there was a crisis. There was a crisis of a a cross and a crisis of an empty tomb. The disciples, uh, as we pick up in our story in the gospel of John chapter 21, the disciples had gone through a tumultuous series of events. They had seen this triumphal entry where Jesus entered into Jerusalem and crowds had 
gathered around and calling him Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And they're, they're excited about Jesus Christ and their expectation of a new kingdom, that Jesus could be the revolutionary leader to overthrow the Romans and purify the corruption in their religion. They, they saw that, and then there was a betrayal of a trusted friend in their own disciple group. And then they had near arrest. They were almost arrested. And then there's this denial of Jesus by their fearless leader, Peter, denies him. And then there is the agonizing crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And then we find out there is an empty tomb and they are found and confused and misunderstanding what in the world is going on. Let's read in John's gospel, chapter 21, verses 1 through 10. It says on, in John's gospel that now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb very early. That would have been Sunday. Mary Magdalene is said to, to be there. She was somebody that uh, Jesus Christ had uh, exercised demons out of her. She was personally impacted by the work and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And in all the four gospels, they record that the women were there at the tomb first before the men were. And it says, while it was still dark, they saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Uh, this is important to, to note that the stone would have been a very large stone. It would have been several hundreds of pounds uh, that would have uh, covered up this, this tomb. And it would have been uh, very, very difficult. And she sees that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. It would have taken several grown men to do this. And so she's panicked and she's worried as to what happens. In verse two, it says, so she ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved and, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and, and we do not know where they have laid him. She's confused. She's wondering, did somebody steal their bodies? Uh, did somebody steal his body? Uh, in, in John chapter 19, verses 38 through 42, we find out that Nicodemus and, and Joseph of Arimathea had uh, arranged with Pilate to take the body of Jesus and place it in this spectacular tomb. Maybe she thinks they have taken his body. She doesn't know where it is. And so she runs in verse three. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb. Peter's finding out now. Uh, he had sat back. He was uh, afraid of fear of maybe being in trouble. He was nearly arrested. And so he's hanging back. But, but now he hears this news from Mary and thinks I've got to see for myself. And so the scripture says the other disciple, that other disciple is John. And, and, and they, they were going towards the tomb. And then verse four, but both of them were running together. So imagine here's Peter and John, they're running together towards the tomb. They'd heard this idea that there might be a resurrection, but they couldn't believe it for themselves unless they saw it. So they have to go running to see what is going on. And they're running together, the Bible says. And it says, but the other disciple... It's really interesting that John's going to be humble here and not mention his name. Uh, he says, the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. We don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us, but perhaps uh, John was a little younger and stronger. Maybe Peter had uh, one too many McFillet fishes and uh, didn't, didn't, wasn't as e couldn't run as quick. 
but they're both running together and, they, and, and then John outruns Peter and reaches the tomb first. In verse five, in stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. John stands there with a careful observance. He's uh, showing uh, respect and, and honor. Uh, he's waiting just for a moment. And Peter, look at him. This, then Simon Peter came following him. He was behind John, but he's gonna, now he sees John sitting at the tomb and says, what in the world are you waiting for? Following him, he goes straight into the tomb and then he sees the linen cloths lying there. Peter has uh, been called the impetuous Peter. He's impulsive and brash and he's just gonna go in right away. Peter uh, has probably a lot on his heart. He had denied the Lord Jesus three different times and just before that, within 24 hours of his denial, he had previously said that he would lay down his life for him. And Peter is anxious and eager. And in verse 7, he says, And, and the face cloth with, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in place by itself. Everything was perfect. Uh, John notes uh, the detail of the linen cloths are lying there. The disciples are taking all this in. And then the other disciple in verse eight, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and he saw and believed. And verse nine clarifies just how much did they believe? For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. They didn't understand fully. They didn't grasp it completely. They couldn't imagine uh, that everything was coming to pass. Did you know there's more than 300 prophecies that have been written four to 500 years before the birth, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all indicating his unique life, his death, and his resurrection they were contemplating all this and they did not understand it, the scripture tells us. And in verse 10, it says, and then the disciples went back to their homes. The scripture tells us that they went back to their homes. There was a crisis, the crisis of this empty tomb. They were confused. There's four responses to the empty tomb. Some run. The Bible says that uh, they're running around. Uh, Peter and John are are locked up in homes and, and freaked out and panicked for a moment. But then they, out of eagerness and anxiousness, they run. Mary Magdalene is running. Everybody is running around in the midst of this crisis. It reminds me of the crisis that we're in, in this uh, COVID-19 season. In a time of crisis, it's really hard to hold still and just think clearly and we just run around. And then in this crisis, we see some cry. In John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18, we find out that Mary Magdalene uh, stays and she goes and she spends more time at the tomb and she uh, sees Jesus, but she doesn't know it's Jesus. The scripture tells us that he, she couldn't tell that it was him. And some people have asked me, uh, why don't you think that Mary Magdalene could tell that it was Jesus? Jesus could easily just uh, have that kind of power on her for just a moment. And she mistakes him as a gardener and says, what have you done with the body? Assuming this gardener perhaps has, has taken the body. There's no reason for a gardener to take the body. And she's weeping and crying. Uh, and Jesus speaks to her in his resurrected body and calls her by name. In the midst of a crisis, there is, there is cr there's weeping and mourning in uh, times where we're crying, even in the crisis that we are in. That, there, that is a normal emotion 
for people. And then some we see in this crisis of the empty tomb doubt. There is doubting Thomas and Jesus has appeared to, him, uh, appeared to the disciples and Thomas just happened not to be there at that moment in time. And Jesus appears to the disciples behind locked doors and he reveals to himself that he is the Lord and he tells them that they can experience peace in the midst of this crisis. And, and then that we find out that uh, the rest of the disciples after Jesus' leave say, Thomas, you should have been here. And Thomas says, I wouldn't believe it unless I saw it for myself. And then sure enough, Jesus comes back and he reappears just for Thomas. And he's doubting, but he appears to Thomas and he reveals himself to Thomas. And Thomas is standing there and and nervous as could be and says, and Lord, unless I see the the marks on your hands, I I won't believe. And, And Jesus stretches out his hands Some will doubt during a time of a crisis. Maybe you're doubting God right now. Lord, I I don't believe in you. How could you let this happen to me? How could you allow this to happen? Where are you in this time frame? And it's a very normal emotion in the midst of a crisis to doubt. And then there's Peter. Some we see in a crisis go fishing. You know, fishing is a pretty therapeutic deal. I was down at Lake Pleasant not too long ago, and there's quite a few folks out fishing in the middle of a crisis, so much that uh, they had to say, okay, we're having too many people, and they closed the lake. We see Peter is going to go fishing. Let's look in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 14, as we get into this. And it says, and after this, Jesus revealed himself again, to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, that is also the Sea of Galilee. He revealed himself in, in this way Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other of his disciples were together. So they're all together. And then Simon Peter, he is the leader. Uh, he is a very strong leader in the midst of these disciples. Peter, James, and John are kind of the inner circle. And it says in verse three, Simon Peter, he says, you know what? Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Uh, In the middle of a crisis, he's going to take time out. He's going to go fishing. And notice how he's a leader because leaders have followers. It says in verse three, they said to him, we'll go with you. Immediately, the disciples join in in Peter's plan to go out and to go fishing. So they went out and they got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. Nobody likes to go fishing and catch nothing. I can imagine that's discouraging. Reality is, is that uh, sometimes when you go fishing, you're not going to catch anything. Uh, Not too long ago, I was on a fishing trip and I I happened to be with this crazy world-class fishing guide. He was the uh, fishing guide for Hank Williams Jr. in Kid Rock. And I told the guy as soon as I showed up, being a nice Christian guy, I said, hey, look, if we don't catch anything today, that's all right. I just like to have a good time. He said, quit lying to me, Ryan. I know that you like to catch fish. Me, I'm a hunter and a fisherman, and all I like to do is I like to catch and I like to kill. And I thought to myself, well, at least this guy's super honest. That's really good. Reality is these guys love to fish. They were men's men, and they loved to have a good time, and this was probably incredibly therapeutic for them, but to catch nothing would have been discouraging. Many times, these guys would go out and spend the entire night fishing, and that's exactly what they did. And just as the morning starts, look what happens. Just as, verse four, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. 
yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And in other translations, it's friends or hey lads. But nonetheless, he's calling out to them. And what a question that you don't want if you haven't caught any fish. And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Imagine they're thinking, good grief. I mean, who's this guy? Uh, They didn't know for certain it was Jesus, but they thought, who is this guy saying this to us? Uh, His voice sounds familiar, but who is this guy? Is he some crazy fishing expert? So they think, what do they got to lose? So they do it. They cast it out, it says. And now they were not able to haul it in immediately. Boom, that fishing net fills up with fish, pulls the boat over. And the disciples are thinking, oh my goodness, we've hit it. It says that they were not, to, they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. The, that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. Immediately when Simon Peter heard that, that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work. He had taken off this, this large robe and, and was kind of down to his shorts and whatnot. And he feels like he's got to just go see what's happening. So he put on his outer garment for he was stripped from his work and he threw himself into the sea. Peter's probably a hundred yards out and he just starts swimming towards Jesus. This is a perfect picture of Peter. He's the one who earlier when uh, he had seen that Jesus was walking on water in a, in a storm, he jumps out and his faith thinks he's going to carry him across and he's going to walk on water and his faith diminishes so quickly. And here again, he, he finds himself and he's just out in the water again going for God. So he does this. He throws himself into the water. Verse 8 says that the other disciple came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So immediately Jesus is, is feeding them. He's feeding them fish. And, and here he is resurrected and he wants to share a meal with his disciples. And so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. It's interesting, John notes exactly how many, but any fisherman will tell you if they're going to catch a bunch of fish, they're going to count them and they're going to divide them up for all the fishermen. Peter, when Jesus says, go grab some fish, he doesn't grab a couple. He brings the whole net in. And, on, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. He, Jesus offers him breakfast. And now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And I can imagine that to ask that question would be really foolish if Peter would ask, is that really the Lord? I mean, they spent so much time with him, they would need to know that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. The reality is, is that there is a strong indication that Jesus was revealing himself in a very, very personal way. Uh, This was the third time that he had uh, appeared 
in, to the disciples and revealed himself at this point in time that he was really truly raised from the dead. There's three lessons of this empty tomb that I think that we need to realize is number one is that God will go to the greatest lengths to show his love for us. He will go to the greatest lengths to show his love for you. You need to know that when you read this story, you see a compassionate God who in the very beginning appears to Mary first and calls her by name. And then he appears to the disciples that are doubting and discouraged. And he says, peace be with you. In this middle of this crazy time, God wants to offer you peace in the midst of this pandemic. And then we see that even the doubters are being dealt with with compassion and mercy. Uh, Thomas is doubting and Jesus goes to great lengths. He comes back for one, that one doubter, Thomas. And he says, you want to see it's me? It's me. And he extends his hand to Thomas so that he can see it is truly the Lord. And then with Peter who had denied him, Jesus is going to spend time with him in his element. He's going to meet him right where he's at in the middle of his fishing journey. He wants to appear to him and give him fish, a great catch, a miraculous catch. You need to know that God will go to the greatest lengths to show his love for you. He loves you tremendously. The Bible says, for God demonstrates his love for us in this, yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The very cross is a symbol of God's love, that he is building a bridge between unbelief and belief that he wants you to experience eternal life. He'll go to the greatest lengths to prove it to you. John three sixteen says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Friend, you need to know that God will and has gone to the greatest lengths to show his love for you. He loves you tremendously and doesn't want you to do life alone. Lesson number two, you need to know that nothing is too messed up for God. You may be finding yourself in a position today and you're thinking, I'm a mess. I don't know what's going to happen financially. I have so much uncertainty. I hear of folks that are struggling with this uh, COVID-19. There might be cases impending or cases confirmed and you're worried and you're, you're feeling the mess or maybe you're facing unemployment or maybe you're facing a spiritual crisis and you're, I don't know if I believe in God and I, I feel like I'm just a mess. You need to know that God wants to meet you in the middle of your mess and no mess is too messed up for God. Uh, all you need is you need, you need to realize that in the, if you've got a big problem, you're right on your way for a miracle. You need a big problem for a miracle. You need a little bit of faith. The Bible says if you have faith of a mustard seed, it can move a mountain. And then you just need a big God. The scripture tells us that uh, in Romans 8, 28, it says, for we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You need to understand that it, the Bible tells us that God will work all things together for good. He's not causing all these things, but he's going to use them for good. You need to have faith and trust that despite all this craziness and chaos, God can take that and use it for good in your life. I want to encourage you to be encouraged by this testimony of a friend of mine, Paul, who I've had the chance to interview about how God met him in the middle of his mess. Check this out. Well, we've got a great opportunity for a testimony today, and we're doing a little social distancing here uh, in light of all that's going on. 
but I didn't want to miss the opportunity for you to be able to share your story. In my message, I talked about how no one or nothing is too messed up for God. Um, Paul, why don't you share how you can relate to that? Um, I think I can relate greatly to that, Ryan. I have, um, you know, recently I just, I came out of a, a, a bout of active addiction and um, things were really dark in my life. Um, I was losing hope, um, not only in life, but in my abilities uh, and the love for my family. And um, it was it was a very trying time. And um, for me to be where I'm at today, it's, it's, it's nothing but the grace of God that's, that's brought me to this point. But in this time where you're struggling with drugs and alcohol, it was a pretty dark season of your life. And you would say you were just spiritually lost. Uh, I was completely lost. I, I, I didn't know how I would start or end my day. I didn't know when my days would end or start. Yeah. And, um, you know, just losing consciousness with uh, my conscience, it, there was nothing speaking to me. Mm-hmm. And I was just deaf and dumb to not hear anything. And why would you say you were using the drugs and the alcohol? No, um, I'm a veteran. I have three deployments uh, overseas. Um, I think there's a lot of deep-rooted PTSD issues that I'm dealing with. And, um, you know, I thought I could do everything. And I didn't know how to ask for help. And I think the stress of all that combined with, you know, the stress in civilian life as well just compounded. And it brought me to a weak point in my life. Paul, as I understand, uh, you were invited to church here at North Valley, and things began to change in your life. Uh, how was God using the church in your life when you were first invited? You know, um, well, first of all, my mother invited me to this church, and I thank her very much for that. Uh, this church has really become a home for me. Um, the, God was speaking through the ministry here and through the sermons, and I was, I was hearing everything that I needed to hear. Um, it, it was really bringing a lot of light and truth into my life. Um, I reached out further, and uh, uh, one of the ministry team members, you know, offered a connection between uh, me and a uh, another parish member, and we connected uh, to a 12-step recovery program. And um, since I've been practicing those fundamentals and uh, traditions and steps and backing that up with church and God and um, it, I, I see my life being compounded in a good way instead of a bad way. Uh, Paul, you were recently baptized in the church. You made a public profession of your faith in Christ and uh, why don't you share just a minute kind of the difference that Jesus Christ is making in your life right now? Oh wow! Uh, where is he not in my life right now? It's, it's. Um, I have a constant daily reminder uh, through prayer and through conscious contact with God that um, is guiding me in a direction that I just never thought I would be. Um, again, I, I'm just completely throttled of where I am compared to where I was, and there's no possible way that I could be where I am standing today without the love of God and without the support from my friends and my family and especially my wife. And that relationship has grown. I mean, <laughs> getting a little emotional here, but the um, my marriage has taken a, a 180 degree turn. I'm able to love her and uh, my relationship with my son is just amazing. You know, it's almost picture perfect. Mm-hmm. 
for that. I'm, I'm thanking God, and it's all Him. Yeah. Hey, friends, I hope that encouraged you. I want you to know that God offers you real-life relationship, a real-life relationship that'll last for all eternity. Uh, when Paul placed his faith in Jesus Christ, things started to change. And that's the, that's the hope and the, the, the joy that there is in the Christian faith. Jesus showed up in a real way to, to declare and to demonstrate that he was God. Yet he offers for us a real life experience and opportunity. The Bible says is that Jesus came to give life and to give it abundantly. Jesus said also in John's gospel that he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me won't die, but will have life and everlasting life. Jesus offers you a real life relationship that'll last for all eternity. Don't let this opportunity slip away. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I wanna give you that opportunity to do that in just a minute. The Bible says is that uh, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And that if we simply place our faith in him, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that we will be saved. And the good news of the gospel, my friends, is not that we'll just be uh, saved from financial troubles or emotional troubles or physical troubles. The good news, the greatest news of all is life everlasting. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Uh, We are given this opportunity to secure for ourselves in this resurrection day, this time of realizing why, what is the good news of Jesus Christ? It's everlasting life. It's life, yes, here and now, but it's life everlasting. In John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, it says, it summarizes kind of the theme of the book. And it says this, after Jesus had done all that appearing, the apostle John writes and records this. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Friends, you need life in his name. You don't need just your life or your life back to normal. You need life in Jesus' name is, the, is what you need. And the greatest thing that any preacher could do is help you to understand that God will go to the greatest links for you. He will meet you right in the middle of your mess. And he offers real life, a life that you can't get by filling up with drugs or alcohol. That's escapism. You can't find it there. You can't find it even in success at the very top of all the success that you could have, or you're not going to find the real life that God is offering there. You're going to find it in Jesus's name is what you're going to find it in. And I want to encourage you to place your faith in Jesus Christ. For those of you that have never done that before, and you're wondering if you were to die today, would you really go to heaven? The Bible says that if we simply confess with our mouth, believe in our heart uh, that Jesus is Lord, that we will be saved. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray right now for all those that are watching right now from home, from work, wherever they're at watching this. I pray, God, that today would be the day that they would simply place their faith in you, that real life would begin. And praying a prayer simply like this, Heavenly Father, I acknowledge my sin. Lord, I acknowledge my great need for you. I, pray, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ, as the Lord.
He's risen from the dead. He is, I believe him to be now my savior. I confess him as my Lord and savior. Take control of my life. Fill me with life in the name of Jesus, amen. The Bible says that if you prayed that prayer, then you are born again. You're a new Christian, a new creation, and the angels in heaven rejoice. I want to encourage you, if you did pray that, would you let us know that you prayed to receive Christ by commenting in the chat section with just simply the word yes. As well, if you'd like to, you can text the word yes to 602-633-4192. And we would love to be able to help you take your next steps in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, friends, it's been great being with you. And before we go, I want to tell all of you who may have come prepared today that you are, want to help contribute towards creating uh, relief for those who need hope the most. Every year at North Valley, we provide what's called a hope offering. And in just a, a, a couple of weeks, we're notifying the community right around us, 6,000 different homes that our church is here to help. And we're sending out a message online and in mailboxes and letting people that we are here to help. We want to do what we can. And the day when you give financially towards North Valley, specifically towards the hope offering, what we're going to do is 100% of that is going to create economic relief. We've been doing inventory and doing all that we can to help first take care of our congregation, but now is the time where we're moving forward and we've met the needs of our congregation. Now is the time that we mobilize and help contribute towards the needs of those in our community, those who do not know the love of Jesus Christ or in great need, and we're going to do that. So today, if you give online towards the hope offering, that's what it's going to go towards. I can't wait to share with you the needs that we're able to meet. And in years past, we've been able to, by God's grace, 100% of the legitimate requests have been met. We've been able to meet those needs through our hope offering. So we're hoping to bring some relief to show the love of Jesus Christ uh, this season. So to Christ be the glory in the North Valley, this is Pastor Ryan. Join us in this next worship song as we worship along. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, Give today at northvalleychurch.org.